You're listening to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience relationships and where you'll gain the guidance, knowledge, and practical tools to overcome insecurity and build healthy, thriving relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. In today's episode, we are talking all about breakups and specifically how different attachment styles, people with different attachment patterns are likely to experience and respond to breakups. So I know I say this at the start of every episode, but this is something that I get asked about a lot, particularly from my anxious attachers, no surprises there. And people wondering, you know, A, why breakups feel so intensely hard for people with anxious attachment patterns, but also desperately trying to decipher what their often avoidant leaning ex-partner is thinking, feeling, why would they do this? Why aren't they doing that? Uh, And while you would know if you're familiar with my work, my approach that I usually will politely decline to join you in analyzing and hypothesizing about someone's behavior. Why would they do this? What does it mean when they do that? I think that playing that game actually just keeps us more stuck. And so I usually uh, opt out of that and gently discourage you from spending too much time and energy in that, you know, spinning around in the hypothesizing. At the same time, there are some clearly observed uh, differences in the way that folks with anxious attachment patterns tend to process and experience a breakup uh, compared with those who have more avoided patterns. And I think that in having a conversation around this, we can cultivate greater understanding and be less inclined to project our own way onto the other person's behavior and interpret accordingly. So I think, again, and we do this all throughout relationships, right? All throughout the life cycle of a relationship. I think without conscious awareness, we do tend to project and, you know, receive someone's behavior as, you know, what it would mean if we did that, notwithstanding that we're coming from completely different places. We have completely different sensitivities and values and all of those things. Uh, We put ourselves in their shoes and then construct meaning. And it tends to give a very inaccurate and distorted and one-sided view of things, which, spoiler alert, usually makes things worse because we then craft these painful stories out of it. So I'm hoping that in today's episode, I can give you a bit more context for that and, you know, probably more of an insight into that avoidant experience post-breakup so that you can understand that, depersonalize it a little and hopefully keep your eyes on your own paper, stay in your own lane a little and support yourself as best you can. If you are going through a breakup or maybe you've been through a breakup and you've had a lot of unanswered questions and wondered these same things. So hopefully I can give you some insights there. Before we dive into that, a couple of quick announcements. The first being, you might've heard me announce that I'm holding a live masterclass in a couple of weeks time on building trust. So this will be a 90 minutes, although in the past I've tended to go a little over time. So probably 90 minutes to two hours live masterclass where we'll be talking all about trust, both self-trust and relational trust, how to build trust looking at trust wounds, you know, rebuilding after infidelity, whether you've got kind of legacy trust issues from a previous relationship, 
how to learn to trust yourself more, um, you know, intuition, all of those topics will be woven in. Uh, Even as I'm saying this, I'm wondering how I'm going to fit it all into two hours. But anyway, that's what we're going to do. Uh, If you'd like to come along to that, I would love to see as many of you there as possible. There will be a recording that you'll have access to afterwards as well if you're unable to join live or you just want to revisit the material. Uh, And you can find the link to that in the show notes or directly on my website. Second quick announcements just to share the featured review, which is I've listened to a few episodes and already learned so much. Stephanie's calm, kind, compassionate approach is helping me understand relationships and myself at a deeper level. Thank you, Stephanie. Keep on making a difference. Thank you for that beautiful review. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that you are new to the show and already seeing an impact in your life and the way you're relating to yourself and others. Uh, If that was your review, please send an email to podcast at stephanierig.com. And my team will set you up with free access to one of my masterclasses, which includes, if you would like, a free ticket to the Rebuilding Trust Live Masterclass. You can choose that one uh, rather than one of my pre-existing masterclasses if you so desire. Okay, so let's dive into this conversation around attachment and breakups. So I've spoken at length on the show and elsewhere around anxious attachment and breakups. And I'll give a bit of a recap on that for anyone who needs a refresher, or perhaps if you haven't listened to me speak about this before. For anxiously attached people, breakups tend to be very, very challenging. Uh, We know that for anxious folks, connection is a very, very high ranking need. And the relationship tends to be our anchor and our source of safety. We really lean on the relationship as giving us identity as giving us purpose. We tend to orbit around that and really prioritize the relationship above the other pillars of our life. And while that's not, oh, you're so anxious and clingy and needy because of those traits or preferences, you know, it's, it's normal. It's, I would say that, you know, folks with secure attachment patterns also, you know, find their relationship to be a source of security and, you know, comfort and stability and they prioritize it. And it, that's not a, an anxious trope. Anxious folks tend to over-index on their relationship to the exclusion of other areas of their life or to the detriment of other areas of their life, which can be neglected in favor of putting the relationship first above all else. And particularly if a relationship is under stress or strain, the anxious person will up the ante on how much time and energy they are devoting to being around their partner, trying to fix the relationship, thinking about the relationship. You know, all of your internal resources are going to be funneled into like operation, save this sinking ship, right? And so the irony there being that as you keep ramping up your efforts, as the relationship becomes more and more strained, uh, if you do then find yourself, you know, in this situation of a breakup, the relationship is ended. You've expended all this energy trying to save it and you're left really empty handed. And it can be a a double-edged sword because you feel this sense of failure that you weren't able to salvage the relationship. And At the same time, you then turn around and look at the rest of your life and there's not much happening because you became so laser focused on the relationship and you might have neglected friendships, you might have isolated yourself, you might have stopped 
doing whatever else you usually do. You might have abandoned your regular routines or become disengaged from work or any number of other things because you were so focused on the relationship and trying to stop it from ending when it was feeling really dire. And so for the anxious person, there are so many different layers of struggle here. Not only have they lost this anchor and this safety blanket, but there's a sense of failure. There's the sense of the unknown, of uncertainty. All of these things are big triggers for people who struggle with anxiety and usually try and manage that anxiety through control and creating predictability uh, through focusing on another person and their needs, all of these patterns that are you know, pretty common among most anxiously attached people. You've got all of this kind of energy that you are used to heaping onto someone else and a relationship and all of a sudden you don't know what to do with yourself. And that can feel just incredibly uncomfortable and you can feel almost frantic and panicked and very, very overwhelmed by that experience. Uh, Being in the void of all of that is just deeply uncomfortable. And so many anxiously attached folks will just spin out after a breakup and feel this overwhelming urge to reconnect with their partner. Not knowing how your partner is thinking or feeling, if you're not in contact with them, that is also likely to be incredibly difficult. So all of a sudden, this person who you're used to having access to and you're accustomed to feeling entitled to speak to them and to know how they're feeling and to know what they're doing and who they're spending time with and, you know, all of those things, all of a sudden you kind of overnight, you lose jurisdiction over that. And that can feel, again, for someone whose tendency is to create safety via a level of control and oversight, feeling like you've just lost power there and that you no longer have any right or entitlement to know what they're thinking, to know what they're feeling, to know what they're doing with their time, who they're seeing, uh, all of those things that is likely to send you into spirals of stress and panic and anxiety and jealousy and all of those other things. And I think that your behavior is like, you know, stalking their social media and when have they been online and who have they been talking to? Oh, did they just start following this person? Is that some all of that stuff, which I'm sure you're listening and some of you will be sheepishly raising your hand and going, yep, that's me, done that. I get it. You are not alone. A lot of people do. I'm, I've done that before. It's, it's a really easy trap to fall into, just feeling like we need to gather information to somehow arm ourselves um, because that's just what we know to do. But of course, none of that is really helping us. And as always, the healing and the growth and the thing we really need, the medicine that we need, even though it's not what we want, is to turn from our obsessive focus on the other back to ourselves. Go, okay, I'm feeling all of these big feelings. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling a sense of failure and humiliation and shame and loss and grief. And instead of being with those feelings, I am trying to fix or distract or avoid or get away from the immense you know, overwhelm that comes with all of that big emotion because we don't trust ourselves to be able to handle it, right? Because we are so accustomed to the other person providing the safety. Uh, so I think that the very best thing we can do as much as it's the last thing that we would do uh, by instinct or impulse 
is actually to just focus on ourselves and try and release the grip, to surrender to the fact that we are no longer in control of this person, not that we ever were, uh, but we really now, as I said, we don't have jurisdiction over that anymore. And obsessing over them and what they're doing, what they're thinking and what they're feeling is very much our way of trying to create a sense of control when we're feeling out of control. And so I think the best thing we can do is offer ourselves a more adaptive strategy, which is going to be focusing on us. That is really the task of you know, people with anxious attachment patterns, whether you're in a relationship or not, if you want to really work on healing and growing and cultivating a greater sense of security, you need to rebuild the foundations within yourself because that's where you are perhaps underdeveloped uh, because you've been so accustomed to focusing on the other person. You need to start laying those bricks of self-worth and self-respect and self-trust and self-compassion, self-esteem. Those are the things that allow you to stand on your own two feet, to go to relationship with a strong sense of self and a really love with an open heart rather than love someone with a lot of fear behind it and a need to control and grip and cling and all of those things. So that is your work. Uh, And I really think that a breakup is a beautiful opportunity to take stock and to really look at that and go, okay, what are the lessons learned and what is next? That turned into a little bit of a soapbox pep talk for my anxious attaches. That was meant to be a quick setting of the scene. But anyway, we're now going to talk about the avoidant experience, which spoiler alert is not what I just described in 99% of cases. And of course, I will give the caveat that I should have done this at the start, that of course, everyone's different, right? To say like anxious people do this and avoidant people do that universally, categorically, the end overly simplistic. So this is not gospel. This is not universal, but it is often true in a general sense. And that is to say that for avoidant leaning folk, you'll recall, I was saying as a relationship becomes more strained towards the end, anxious folks dial up the intensity and they ramp up their attempts at fixing, saving, controlling, getting closer, you know, problem solving, one more chance. They might, you know, engage in more conflict and more demands in this you know, desperate effort to get engagement and to you know, turn the ship around. Avoidant folks, as things get more strained, become more and more overwhelmed and it just saps them of energy. It's like it drains the battery so fast because avoidant folks really value relational harmony and for them to feel like a relationship is just constant work that is a very exhausting experience i think it's exhausting for anxious folks as well but it's not exhausting in the sense of like i can't do this i'm out uh you know anxious leaning people tend to roll up their sleeves and and want to do that work uh, kind of relentlessly uh, rather than walking away and deciding it's too much for avoidant folks, I think that that just becomes, you know, more trouble than it's worth and reminding ourselves that there is a really different baseline in terms of need to be in a relationship. And if aloneness is comfortable, that is the comfort zone for a lot of people with avoidant patterns. You know, the being in a relationship is the thing that is challenging them. And so as soon as the relationship becomes consistently tense and strained and conflict-ridden and they're feeling 
like they're under attack the whole time or like they're constantly being dragged into a, you know, three hour long conversation every other day where someone is, you know, highly emotional and you're going around in circles. That is not what an avoidant person, you know, they don't get a lot out of that. And that can just very quickly tip the scales in favor of this isn't working. This is costing me more than, you know, it's giving to me. It's too much. It's too exhausting. It's not working. And so when the relationship has been like that in the lead up to a breakup, the first thing that most avoidant people are going to feel is a sense of relief. There will be this sense of like, oh, okay, I was feeling all of that stress and now that stress is alleviated and I feel free again and I feel relief. And it's not like free, woohoo, I'm going to go out and sleep with a bunch of people. I mean, some people might do that and, and whatever, but I think that to suggest that it's freedom in the sense of, oh, now I'm single, like it's party time. I don't think that that's true. I think it is just a lifting of a huge emotional burden that comes with relational tension over time. And so for avoidant folks, there is this sense of probably peace and relief, retreating to an environment of aloneness where they feel like they're back in control and they don't feel like a failure and a disappointment. Someone's always upset with them and wanting things from them that they can't give. And so uh, you might see that an avoidant person after a breakup is likely to seem pretty fine, particularly at the start. So they might seem to be pretty okay. And you might see them socializing a lot. They might distract themselves because like you, they don't don't know how to be with those big emotions that might be underneath that relief, but their way of coping with that, you know, whereas the anxious person tries to get away from those emotions by obsessing over the intellectualization of them and trying to find information and, uh, you know, focusing on the other person and trying to solve the problem. The avoidant person tends to avoid and distract and numb. So they might go out and socialize a lot. They might throw themselves into work. They might take up a new hobby or something. They might just like go all in on other areas of life in a way that from the outside, if you're looking at them and you're following them on social media or whatever, you might look and just see them seemingly being fine and and looking even like they're thriving. And that's probably pretty excruciating for you if you are more anxious, because again, as I said at the start, you are interpreting what you are seeing through the lens of what it would mean if you were doing that. So for you, if you a week after a breakup were like out socializing heaps and maybe going on a trip or work, like all of those things are unfathomable because you're in this really dark place. You're going, wow, for me to be in that place, I must not care at all. I would have to not care at all. I would have to not miss them at all. I would have to have, you know, not even really loved them. Um, I didn't value the relationship. That's the only way that I could be ready for all of that. But that is just such a projection coming from a very different starting point and a very different experience and emotional landscape and and way of coping with things. So while that's likely to be the avoidant person's initial experience, what will often happen is that, you know, a few weeks might go by, a month might go by, and then they might start to kind of really come to terms with what's happened. And that initial experience of relief might become something a little bit more sad or, you know, having that grief come up 
probably not in the same intense, overwhelming or consuming way as an anxious person would, uh, but still like having the, oh, that's, that's sad. I miss them. And this is where you'll see people reaching out or they might, you know, like your Instagram story or send a, you know, casual message saying, Hey, how are you? Uh, and you know, I, I always get anxious attaches going, why would they send me a message? Why would they do that? I haven't heard from them for three weeks. And all of a sudden I get this random message. Uh, often that is what's happening, that they've kind of come through the fog of that initial period and realize what's happened. And you know, again, people go, Oh, if they miss me, does that mean we should get back together? You know, a lot of you would know that my take on that is not that getting back together is a bad thing or that you should never do that, but I think it's got to be based on a whole lot more than missing each other uh, because that's just going to lead you right back to where you started and you'll be in the same patterns and the same dynamics as soon as you have that temporary relief of getting back together you will you haven't actually resolved anything substantively there's a really good chance that you'll be right back where you started but that is kind of the arc or the trajectory that you could expect from a lot of folks with avoidant patterns is that they will seem to be fine and then they might have a bit of a hangover but it's kind of a delay because of that initial experience of relief and you're feeling like, oh, thank God, I'm not in the midst of that really high conflict, intense, overwhelming dynamic, which is what the tone of a lot of these relationships are right before a breakup. So I hope that that's been helpful in giving you a bit of a sense of those contrasting experiences. Again, I offer that with a view to helping you depersonalize and, and maybe check yourself on those projections and those stories you're telling yourself about like, oh, uh, you know, that's what their behavior means. They're fine. That means that I'm pathetic and I loved them more and they never cared about me. Again, that just really adds to our suffering and is not helpful at all. If this episode is something that you are really needing right now and you're in the midst of a breakup, definitely check out my higher love course. It's a breakup course. It's very comprehensive. And it also has a bonus masterclass called attachment styles and breakups, which is about 45 minutes and is more of a deep dive on the conversation we've had here today. And you can use the code Phoenix to save $150 on higher love. So you can enter that code at the checkout and you will save $150. So sending so much love to anyone who is going through a breakup. I know that it's tough in a couple of weeks time, maybe next week, I'm going to do a Q&A episode all on breakup. So covering a few different topics because it is one of the, you know, the areas that I get a lot of requests for support from, from people who listen to the show and who follow me on Instagram and all of those things. So keep an ear out for that if that is something you're going through at the moment. Otherwise, so grateful for you all being here and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks guys. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love, and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here, and I hope to see you again soon.